0: Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. This podcast is all about developing your voice as a journalist and developing the skills to harness that voice. And we'll do that today with a guest who's going to break down a story she produced that just won a National Edward R. Murrow Award. Before we do that... I ask you this. First, please subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. It is the best podcast app I know, keeps a playlist of your favorite shows and automatically updates with new episodes so you don't have to download them. Just download the Stitcher app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Secondly, rate and review this podcast on iTunes if you like what you're hearing and you want others to hear it too. A kind rating on iTunes is the best way to boost us in the rankings and search, so I kindly encourage that. Finally, you can buy my book, The Solo Video Journalist, wherever fine books are sold. It is a how-to guide for the most in-demand job in local TV news, those who shoot and edit their own stories. It's getting picked up by college classes. It's being read around the world. Again, that is The Solo Video Journalist on sale now. I rarely ask a guest back. On to the Telling the Story podcast. I love all of them, but I try to provide as many perspectives from as many different backgrounds, career paths, and job titles as I can, and that doesn't happen if I recycle the same people over and over. But this time, I had to make an exception. Last week, the RTDNA announced its National Edward R. Murrow Award winners for 2018. And I was watching the winning entries, quite a few of them, and I came across a piece that was so well done, but also... So potentially instructive for young broadcast journalists. That's because it was one of the few pieces that didn't require fancy effects, DSLR cameras, teams of producers. It was just one person with one camera using the kinds of storytelling techniques we should all desire in our storytelling toolkits. I think maybe 12 hours went by before I messaged her to come on the show and give us awesome insight. From WTVF TV in Nashville, Catherine Stewart, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Matt. I'm really, really excited to be back and talking (laughs) to you. Thank you.
0: Well, and not only did you agree to come back to the podcast, but I want to let the people know that you also agreed to move up our start time for this podcast to arrange it to work around the feedings (laughs) of my daughter, which I could not be more thankful for. So thank you for that, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Catherine. As long as I get to meet her after this. (laughs)
0: absolutely you're gonna have to drive down from nashville but yes yes the next time you're in atlanta you can absolutely meet her now there is one change this go around i should mention last time you did appear in tandem with fellow photojournalist extraordinaire jed gamber from wbff in baltimore this time clearly we have upgraded uh we've dropped the dead weight that was jed
1: i'm just playing
0: (laughs) jed is the best but catherine this is a huge deal and uh, to have you on so exciting a national murrow award congratulations how does it feel
1: Thank you. Um, I mean, great. I've just, I, I don't know. I've been smiling all week, like just kind of shocked and just still like, like I woke up the next day and I was like, did that, did yesterday happen? Like, is this, is this for real? So yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited.
0: The last time we had you on, you had just won an NPPA award for central region top photojournalist of the year. That's a national award. This is a national award as well. Um, this one, I would imagine just because it is so prestigious, people know the Murrows in ways that they don't know other awards. And, and I would have to imagine this one means so much simply because of that, because of all it takes to win one.
1: Absolutely. And just uh, I just feel like it stands for something so incredible with journalism. And that just means so much to me. I, I, PPA is wonderful too. I've, you know, you know, I've been in, in that for a while now, but um, mm-hmm. this, this Murrow thing, you know, this is once a year and, and just the regional is so exciting. It's like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, to get a regional is is amazing. And then you just kind of, I don't know. I just kind of assume like, wow, there's no way it's going to be, you know, considered for national, but it's cool to, you know, get to be on the list with everybody and all that. But um, so it's just, yeah, it's just amazing.
0: Well, I have to tell you in watching that piece, it was, it was so little surprise. First of all, who did it? Because it doesn't say the name of the photographer uh, or the journalist. It just says the station. But when I watched it, it was so obvious that it was your work. And then it was also so obvious why that piece won. And that's the reason I wanted to have you here today. And I wanted to do this a little differently than we do most podcasts. We'll still talk at the end about your career journey and your advice for young journalists like we do every episode. But I want to spend most of our time deconstructing the piece you did. It's called Strings for Hope, and I want to deconstruct it from start to finish. I'm going to explain it enough so that if you, the listener, have not seen it or are listening to this podcast in your car so you can't watch it, you should still be able to follow along and understand the advice. However, if you do have a screen accessible to you, I would encourage you to pause this podcast Watch the story. It's at my post. It's embedded in the post about this episode and then follow with us as we go through it. So before we begin, Catherine, why don't you give just a general overview of the piece, what it's about and how you found out about it?
1: Yeah. Okay. so Strings for Hope is a nonprofit in Nashville and they take um, used guitar strings pretty much that either have been donated or, you know, whatever, however they get them. Um, and they repurpose them into jewelry, and they sell them downtown. And if you've ever been to Nashville, you know, there's honky-tonks everywhere. So it's a really great place to kind of, you know, anybody visiting would want this kind of jewelry. But the great thing is that they have women that have been incarcerated for drug and alcohol addiction. These women are the ones that are actually taking the class and making the jewelry. And so they are... You know, rehabilitating themselves and and learning a craft and and getting kind of, you know, getting to learn about business and so it's just kind of this great mix of you know turning something old or or something that was damaged and and bringing it into the light a little bit and making it making it something beautiful. So that's what that's what the story's about.
0: And we were talking a little bit about this before uh, before we got on mic, but this is the first major piece like this that you have done alone typically when we watch your work as a photographer it's usually uh you know it's usually uh, in combination with the tremendous reporting and writing of reporters like jason lamb and this one you chose to do on your own as a nat pack meaning trackless uh you know pretty much doing this solo so yeah. what why was that decision made
1: So actually, this was like a career kind of goal for me. I I was just at a point where I've seen some incredible nap packs done. Um, People at our station, Bud Nelson, he does these just amazing nap packages himself. And usually the ones I have done are, you know, just a little more basic, maybe a Vosat that I was able to turn, you know, into something else. And I think it's a good thing to practice that. It's just, you know, helps keep your skills up and being able to do, as you know, um, a story just yourself is something that you should always you know, be trying to do. But I was just kind of inspired to go after something and, and say, I want something with layers. I want something that I can tackle myself. So honestly, it was just a goal that I set for myself to see, you know, can I do this? I've seen it done. I really want to do it myself. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of set out thinking, okay, like I just need to wait for the right story to come along that I think you know, has enough power that it can be told without, a you know, a reporter track or anything. And so, when I came across this story, I think I was honestly searching nonprofits um, for a while. Like, I I just get on Google and just search all kinds of weird things around Nashville just to like find out what companies are out there or what things. There's are no done. shortage
0: of weird things. No, there's not. For sure.
1: <laughs> and we actually we have a segment in uh, at our station called Celebrate Tennessee, and. It's it's pretty much just a good opportunity for photographers to go out and do that kind of thing. And it usually celebrates, you know, nonprofits or things, you know, good things that are being done around Tennessee. And so when I came across this uh, Strings for Hope Foundation, I was like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to try it with this one and, and see how it goes.
0: That's cool, and you won a National Murrow, so not bad, <laughs> not bad for your first one. It went okay. <laughs> so let's get right into this piece. So the first eight seconds, and again, if you if you are by a screen, you can certainly follow along with this by watching a little bit as we go, but the first eight seconds of this piece, visually, we're seeing a beautiful time-lapse of the sun rising over downtown Nashville, and we're hearing the most pristine audio of a musician's voice and his guitar. So let's start with the visuals. What made you think let's do a time lapse to start this off? Did you did you know you wanted to do that from the beginning? Did you get out there and suddenly make the call?
1: Yeah, not from the beginning. No, I wish I could say I had this like great layout structure of, of how I was going to do this, but it, it was really with you know, you know with obstacles coming up and things changing. I just didn't. But um, it was actually once I I had gone and recorded that musician a few times because um, he was playing downtown a lot. And I think it was with, with the song he was singing. Um, He said in a world that's full of trouble in a world that's full of pain. I just thought like that song really represents kind of what the story is about. And these women that have kind of, you know, ran into a lot of trouble. So anyway, he, he mentions the road. And so I just thought it was such a pretty song. I really wanted to open on it and kind of set the tone for what this was going to be about, maybe foreshadow a little bit. And I wanted to start on downtown and and just with what he was singing and stuff, I thought, you know, I'll just, I'll start with kind of this busy, like, you know, these are people that are coming downtown, probably just to see the lights or whatever. But the story is actually about kind of something very opposite. And so I don't know, it's just in my head, I thought, well, I'll just try to set the tone with this kind of beautiful time-lapse and introduce Broadway on Nashville and and kind of get it started like that, if that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And something that I think is, is important too is that I think a lot of times we go into stories like this and think that we have to have a layout. We have to have it all set up from A to Z. And I actually think that when we do that it closes us off to the real moments that occur while we're on the story. So I, I when you said that, you know, you know, you didn't get to go out with a layout or anything, I, I think that's a good thing because you can get out there, and especially someone who knows Nashville as well as you do, you probably have a certain instinct for what you're going to find on Broadway and, and the things that you might be able to gather. So you can kind of go off of that instead of trying to heed or uh, adhere to a formula.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it it helped in this case where I was just able to play off of him and realize that, okay, he's going to be the one that actually starts this off. And, and the music, and obviously the whole point for me is that you're hearing these guitar strings and it, you know, it all kind of is one big circle for the story. So in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm foreshadowing this. You know, people don't know, but I am. And so that's just kind of how I wanted to get it going.
0: The other thing that I think is so valuable for the solo video journalists out there and for photojournalists who want to take on nat Packs and do pieces by themselves is the idea of kind of writing on the fly. And you mentioned that, you know, he was singing this particular song, And you kind of decided in the moment, okay, well, maybe this is how I can structure the piece. And he's talking about the road, and so maybe I can show the time lapse over the road. And I think, you know, when I work with young solo video journalists a lot, they often say, you know, I feel like my time management struggles because, you know, I'm shooting it, and then I get back and I log it, and then I write it, and then I edit it, and by the time I get towards the end, I have no time. And usually the (laughs) big fix to that and the easy fix is to not try to compartmentalize it all, to write while you're shooting, to get those lines in your head and figure out how you might edit it together while you're out in the field. And that's something you were able to do very effectively right off the bat here.
1: Thank you. And and also, yeah, I mean, just off of that is to let, like you kind of mentioned earlier, let the moments change what you're doing and, and adapt to that. Because I think if you're too focused on being too structured, you're can so easily miss it and realize, you know, in this case, I probably wouldn't have been paying attention to the words he was singing. I probably would have been more focused on just getting sound. So, yeah, I think that's important.
0: Speaking of sound, uh, your Murrow came in the category called Excellence in Sound. And when I listened to the sound right off the bat here, it was, again, so evident why this story was worthy of such an honor because it is so crisp and clear. You'll probably hear me say the words crisp, clear, <laughs> pristine, words like that throughout the podcast. But I have to assume, again, this is Broadway in Nashville. This is a noisy environment. It's a busy environment. How did you get such crisp audio there?
1: Um, actually, yeah, it was it was insanely loud. And the first, I like I said, I went back to this uh, guy a couple times. And at one point, um, there was some audio that I definitely couldn't use. There was a few songs that because... You know we've got pedal taverns going down the road and other bands playing that he was right next to so some some of it didn't come out very well um but i don't know i just had him mic'd for a long time with the lav mic and then um when i realized that i you know i had gotten his voice really well i went back a couple days later and i said i'm gonna keep i, I want more tight shots of this, of him playing and i noticed that he was actually singing in the same order that he had before. And so I, I realized pretty quickly, like, oh, I think I know what song is next. And um, so I w- actually went and kind of hung or dangled the lav mic um, right at the strings while he was playing. Um, and so it's it was almost in the guitar. And so that's how it ended up um, getting really crisp with the guitar. And because he sang the same songs, I was able to kind of match it up and realize that I had his you know face where you can tell he's singing certain songs. And then I also had the hands. So it, I was able to kind of use both of those.
0: That is really slick. So <laughs> you basically just got an audio take of yeah, that song. pretty
1: much. Yeah. Huh. And it just, it worked out that he was singing all the same stuff. And, and so that just kind of stars aligned on that one.
0: Now, obviously you have a lot of time that I think most people, you know, doing day, day, uh, day of stories don't have. But I think there <laughs> is a lesson there in the value of, people who are doing uh, repetitive actions. And I know, for example, I just shot a story that ran uh, where there was a workout at a CrossFit gym. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about that is that, you know, if you know somebody is going to be doing 20 leg lifts, you can get four or five shots in a sequence while that person is doing their exercise. So there's no staging that's involved with it. There's no Um, having to force it or having to ask the person to do it again or anything like that. But the value of repetition, being able to move your camera and move your microphone to get that video and audio that really takes those stories to the next level.
1: And I think for like even, you know, people starting out or just wanting to kind of exercise their skills a little bit, shooting anything repetitive is just just such a great way to teach yourself how to anticipate like moments happening or what somebody's next move is going to be and to kind of get yourself in the shape of, trying to be a step ahead of people. And in this case, it helped so much because um, I knew when the end of the song was coming and it was actually my closing shot, because I thought, okay, I started on this song, I'm gonna be able to end on this as well. Um, And that was just because I was, you know, trying to pay attention to what he was doing and and listening. So I just think for people starting out, it's just such a good, you know, to shoot people painting or just working out (laughs) or something. It's just like a good practice.
0: Love it. Uh, Now, you gradually move from the man singing and playing his guitar to a woman, also downtown, selling products made out of guitar strings. Now, did you, was this all shot in a morning? Were you out there for a day basically getting whatever shots you could find? Did you mostly stay with these two or did you kind of just rumble around Broadway looking for cool shots?
1: Yeah, I I was... um... I was out there a lot. And actually, wh- the music was a completely separate, I was completely done with everything I had. And I needed someone playing a guitar. So that was actually much later. Um, and the the people selling the jewelry downtown just kind of told me, you know, we're out here between these hours, these days a week. And so I just met them out there at one point. And I think I got the rest of the Broadway shots or the Nashville shots um, while we were down there and just kind of had her introduce what the product was and all of that.
0: Right away this feels like a story that you essentially shepherded over a long period of time and you kind of had to be patient and not rush to get it done by a certain date but kind of wait until you had your elements and know what kinds of elements you needed to get.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I needed I needed time just because of of the nature of the story, the the you know, I was on their kind of watch and, and the the girl that I ended up interviewing that was in the program, she had a very strict schedule because she was in a, you know, kind of this rehabilitation program. So, yeah, it was definitely shot over a good period of time, mostly just because I needed to wait to get the access that I wanted to get. And I knew that, you know, I couldn't just half. At, at one point I thought, you know, I think I have enough. I think I have all the sound I need. I think I can do it. And then when I kind of started laying it out, I realized that I definitely needed more. So it was just I mm-hmm. just tried to be patient and be like, you know, wait for them to let me back in and, and keep going. So. I don't know
0: and if as any. any oh, yeah, no, it, it did. And I think as any, you know, uh, journalist who wants to tell these kinds of stories will uh, will agree you kind of have to do them on your own time and and they have to be fueled by your passion or else they probably won't get done and they probably won't get done to the degree that you want to do them now yeah. i really want to talk about the edit here uh at this part of the package because there's a lot of layering of audio and it's done so seamlessly and i don't know that i have a specific uh thing i want to point out about it but i do want to get your you kind know, of just general guidelines for how you layer audio and and when you know you're doing it right and when you know that it is it it is making sense and making its point and not getting too much and too convoluted
1: yeah i well okay, I love audio like I've always laid it down first i'll I definitely will make more of my edit decisions based on how it sounds versus how it looks i i a lot of times for me, the video edits come second um so, with something like this and That's and so because it's about music in in a way, I really was able to use the music and the guitar playing as all the transitions to kind of movie different locations. I didn't have to worry about transition shots as much as I could have trans- transition sound um, so I, I mean, especially with a nap pack like this, I obviously really had to just kind of keep laying all the audio down and listening to it and seeing if it's it's flowing or if the pacing is okay and I don't know this, obviously this whole story is kind of more about the audio and, and making sure I I got it right. A lot of it is just kind of a feeling like, Oh, this either doesn't feel right or it does. And I try to figure out why it does or doesn't. Um, so I don't really have like a specific, you know, this is exactly how I do it, but I just like prioritize audio. I, I always have, I just, I I love it. And at the end of the piece, I'll even kind of close my eyes and just listen and make sure it, it sounds right. And, um, usually the video and the audio will end up flowing because of that. But yeah, I, I really focus in on the, on the sound.
0: That is a tip that I've heard before too. If you have the time by the time you've finished your story, if you're not yeah. you know, scrambling to make slot at that point, try to listen to it with your eyes closed and see, especially because not only I think from a, just a production value standpoint, but we all have to admit, it's probably how, a good chunk of our viewers are going to be actually taking in this story because they'll probably be doing multiple things or they might be in the kitchen or in another room and they they'll be listening before they'll be watching. So Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of value in that for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, I always tell like, I just think people should definitely like prioritize that, that audio a lot. I feel like a lot of times it can become maybe something that people don't worry about as much, but, um, I just think it's huge. And I I just feel like people, because they are probably listening to it even more than they're seeing it, they'll hear these. if there's a problem or if there's something really bizarre in there or a weird cut. I feel like people are bound to hear it. They might not know why it was weird, you know, a viewer, but I think they'll still know something was off. And so, yeah.
0: So you capture the bustle of downtown Nashville with a steady diet of quick shots and quick cuts, and then you hold one on the start of a different scene, the outside of a building that says the next door. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a very nice transition. And again, we always talk about pacing. And so you've gone from the fast pace and the bustle of Broadway. And now, obviously, you're setting up the viewer to expect something a little more meditative, a little more contemplative as you go inside. But what you do, and again, excellence in sound, you keep the guitar track going, for a few seconds and let it fade out very gradually as you're on the shot of the building that says the next door. So that's a beautiful transition as well. And something I wanted to get your mindset on, how you layer the audio, not just to match the video of a scene, but to kind of blend and roll into the next scene as well.
1: Well, I think um, to do that, so every piece of video that I pull down in the edit bay, I bring the audio that is associated with that video almost no matter what. And so I'll tend to have a lot of audio tracks because um, like with that shot, you can hear the guitar. You might not be able to hear very well, but the outside of that building, the sound that was out there probably wind and maybe, you know, a bird chirping or something that's there as well, um, even though it's very quiet. And so I always try to do that with every shot, even if I want something to go longer or, you know, to kind of fade into something else, I still have the audio of whatever shot you're seeing on the screen. I want it's like associated uh, sound to be there as well. And so I think just kind of making sure that you keep all of that, just because, you know, when, when you see something, when you see the outside of a building, you might not necessarily normally hear guitar strings, but you would hear something you would hear maybe traffic or a bird chirping or the wind or something. And so I think it's important to keep, the audio that should be with that scene, unless you're doing something creative and, and, you know, trying to have some other effects. But I just feel like people need to always hear some sort of ambient noise or or whatever is associated. So yeah, I, I just make sure to always keep the audio, even if it's, you know, 10 other things I want people to hear as well. I try to kind of keep whatever is supposed to be there, there.
0: And these are all subtle things too that a viewer might not say. Oh yeah, I I, I totally right. heard that bird chirping, but they're going to know if it's not there for yeah. sure. Yeah.
1: And with the guitar, I um I was kind of trying to. I don't want to say like train people, but people watching, I wanted um, you know, they hear the guitar kind of come, like you said, fade out, and it kind of I think it was the end of his chord or whatever that I ended on, um, and so it's kind of like end of scene, you know, next. And so when I bring the guitar in next, when I'm changing scenes again, I kind of wanted people to get a sense of, oh, when we hear the music come in, something changes or, or you know, it's a transition. So I wanted to make sure that I was using it, you know, as a transition.
0: There's a great line that uh, that a writer told me about four months ago, and it's just stuck with me as I've been working on my stories this year, where she said, you have to teach your, she said readers, but obviously I think your audience you have to teach your audience how to consume your story. So if you're a writer and you're trying something a little bit offbeat in your structure and your style, you have to kind of set the tone for that very early and really make it explicit Mm -hmm. to your reader. But as a broadcast journalist and specifically as an editor, you really have to do that with the way that you maneuver and manipulate audio and video. And the the same way you're talking about If you want to establish this idea of scenes and that the music is going to be a cue... Then that has to take place through the story, and it has to be consistent, and it has to be a deliberate choice on your end in order to do that. So that's that's a very interesting uh, another another great kernel from Catherine Stewart. This yeah, is the no. telling the story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Catherine Stewart, national Edward R Murrow Award-winning photojournalist at WTBF in Nashville. So moving on in the story. Now we're at this class at the next door, and we're here for a good while, probably the next minute or so of what was around a three-minute piece. You capture a lot here in what is mostly a class, people sitting down, not really a lot of movement. They're mostly just working with strings. How much time did you have to spend? How much did you move the mic around? Describe your process on on that shoot.
1: Okay. So at this point, um, the viewer doesn't know that who's making the strings. So I knew I needed to, there needed to be some kind of a reveal there um, that, you know, these, these women are previously, or are formerly incarcerated. So I think this class was probably an hour, Um, and I had the main lady that's instructing the class, I had her wearing a mic uh, the entire time, just so I could, you know, get whatever she was instructing. I knew that I needed reveal sound from this particular shoot, so we could introduce someone as, you know, someone who's been incarcerated, so... I, I was really kind of worried about how I was going to get that. Cause it had to be organic. I wasn't asking really questions or anything during the shoot. I was just kind of, I was just there. Um, so I had, I had another love on, I think two other women at one point that never ended up making it into the story. Really. Maybe I used it for Nat sound or something of them making the jewelry, but um, I just wasn't feeling it with them. And, and I didn't think that I was going to get that sound that revealed, who, you know, who these women were. Um, so I ended up, actually Brooke, the the instructor, said to one of the girls, she said, you call your sponsor every day. Good for you, Jessica. And so right then I was like, oh my gosh, okay, that's, that has to be the reveal sound. Now I need to mic up Jessica. She's going to be the girl. Um, so I, right away, I got a microphone on Jessica and kind of got some gnats from her about things that, you know, she was doing or, or, or what she was doing with the strings. And, Um, just tried to focus in on her and have, have her kind of finish telling the story. So it was just a lot of trying to anticipate or, or just paying attention to what people were saying. And, and as soon as the instructor said that about the sponsor, I thought, okay, people are going to understand that, you know, it's, it's another one of these things where it's not this very blunt line of like, oh, you've been in prison, but it's like, oh, you call your sponsor. And so for me, that's kind of me wanting to train the audience a little bit to be like, huh, why does she have a sponsor? just kind of opens it up to keep
0: going in the story and visually just a lot of really nice tight shots of the strings and you stand back and zoom in so you really crush the depth of field with those shots it's it's very very nice and from there you pop back outside for a few shots where the salesperson of the string jewelry is talking about the individuals behind each piece and then you go to jessica who you (laughs) mentioned as being the person who Uh, you know, the employee that you decided you wanted to focus on because she was the one who uh, was discussing that with the instructor. And you put her in a different environment and you made sure you did an active interview here, which Mm -hmm. in fact, I think all but one of the interviews, the the only interview that wasn't active was the one with the instructor. So talk about how you set that up for success. Did you know that you wanted to did you did you know where you want to put her? Did you were you only gonna do that if it was something that made sense? How did you approach that?
1: So that was actually a little tough um, because it was in this facility. They had pretty strict rules on on what I was shooting and where I was. Um, so they actually told us, you know, this is the room you can have. She she works on jewelry kind of randomly whenever she wants. Um, so I just kind of had her give me a call when she wanted to do it or when she would make it usually from coming home from her other job or or visiting her kids or whatever. Um, so she called and I was able to just kind of come by and, and kind of get her, I wasn't allowed to be up in her room, which is where she would actually normally be doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was a little bummed that it had to be kind of this more generic location, but obviously when you're kind of dealing with something like that, you, need to play by their rules. Yes. So you were able to give us this room and, and yeah, she just uh I, I said just kind of do what you'd be doing with the jewelry or whatever you'd be making and, and I'll just kind of we'll sit and talk. And um so it was able to kind of be a little bit of a sit down interview just in the sense that she was there kind of in one spot doing this thing over and over. But um
0: And she was by yeah. herself.
1: Yeah, she was by herself, yes. Um but yeah I just I didn't I didn't want the only time we saw her with the jewelry to be in that class the few days before, because I just, we just didn't have a lot with her. And I just thought if we were one-on-one, it would just be able to open her up a little more and it would be a little more intimate about what we were able to talk about. Um, so yeah. And I think honestly, she would, she was going to be more comfortable if she'd be making jewelry too, not just me plopping her down in a chair and saying, Tommy, you know, all these things that have gone on in your life. Um, I think she was more open with the distraction of the jewelry to kind of help her be a little more comfortable.
0: Now the beauty of this story is that you so you you go through the progression where you kind of establish downtown, you establish the scene, you establish the string jewelry, you establish that they come from people who make them separately and from individuals, you establish that those individuals have been formerly incarcerated. And then you establish one person in particularly who you're going to focus on and personalize the story. Then you bring back the track, the guitar track, in the last 30 seconds. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: that's the beauty of this piece is that you do kind of bookend it. You weave in footage from everywhere with this common musical backing underneath. And that, I think, is such an underestimated uh, or underappreciated skill because it's very easy to, you know, to just show a spray of footage but oftentimes it feels disconnected. The way you did it, it felt super connected. And because you had that musical thread underneath, it all weaved in together. So, did you know that, did you know you wanted the music to serve that purpose late? Did you know you kind of wanted to get the entire, uh, the entire stream of footage that you had shot and put it, you know, kind of sandwich it all towards the end? How did you go about processing and coming up with that end?
1: Okay. I definitely knew I wanted the music to kind of be this constant thing that we're hearing in and out. I knew that it would kind of serve as the scene change or, or whatever. Um, I think it was during the interview. So the more we were doing these interviews, the, the more that they were saying things like, you know, one form of art can't exist without the other. Um, it's I, a couple of people said it's like a circle. It, it, you know, it, you've got something that's being thrown away or would ordinarily be thrown away or something that society thinks is disposable. I think she said, um, and you're turning into something beautiful. So just the more that people were saying things like that, the more I realized like it is kind of this cycle and that the story should reflect that. And so we kind of are, we have the cycle with the music, we start and we end with it and it just kind of all comes together in that way. So I knew, I think it was just through hearing the interviews and realizing that there was kind of this theme of turning something old, you know, disposable into something beautiful. I think that's that's how I decided. Well, the structure would need to reflect that as well. And everyone kind of said a little bit about that. Um, and so I thought, well, since they're all saying something similar, they're all kind of agreeing with each other and almost talking with each other in a way, or finishing each other's sentences a little bit. I just that's how I decided. I'm just going to let them kind of bring it to an end by saying that it's kind of bookending ending itself um, so yeah just kind of paying attention to those interviews and, and letting them dictate where it's going to go and, and uh, I knew I wanted to end with that sound and that song and then when he said that about does it for me I think I just like I think the camera like I had to cut pretty quick because I think I moved the camera I was so excited that like it, he really brought it to a close even the musician brought it to a close who knows really nothing about this story so yeah.
0: that's terrific all right well so that is uh those are all the questions i had to dissect this uh edward armuro award-winning piece what haven't we talked about that that you would want to mention or that we haven't uh that would be good storytelling advice for our audience
1: i don't know i would need to think a little bit um i don't know the more i talk about it the more i realize that it was just all very it, it was structured in the sense that like i definitely had very specific questions for everybody and I went to reporters in my newsroom and and asked for help from them for like, okay I I think I have this theme, but I need them to say it and I need to ask questions in the right way to get them to kind of tell it, obviously, without having a reporter there. Um, It's a hard part of
0: doing NatPaks, too, because a lot of times you don't get that uh, exposition and it feels incomplete. It feels like as a viewer, you're missing something or you're not really getting the story.
1: Yeah. And I was terrified that that's how it was going to go, that I wasn't (laughs) going to get all of the sound. And, um, at one point I think I was ready to say, I might need somebody to write this or to track this because I'm not quite sure I had it all at one point. Um, but I don't know, I guess for me, this lesson, like I said, the more I've talked about it is just realizing that like having a structure is great and just kind of This overview of what I wanted is important, but um, having to go with the flow was even more important because that's definitely how it came together was because of what they said and, and the sound that they were giving and the actions that they were having and just paying attention to that and letting that kind of roll was just really important.
0: This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Catherine Stewart, National Edward R. Murrow Award-winning photojournalist out of Nashville at WTVF-TV. Catherine, uh, you know that I use this final section as an advice section for younger journalists. The last time you were here, we learned about your journey from Alaska to Nashville. And uh, and obviously, you're doing such great work now uh, at WTVF, and you have been doing great work. Since we last spoke, I wanted to ask you about this. You've spoken... At several conferences. Uh, it started with the one that John Kirtley and I put on in Atlanta. And this year alone, you've spoken at your uh, in your home state of Alaska at the Alaska yeah. Press Club Conference, which I had the privilege of doing last year and is one of my favorites. Just an incredible uh, week out there at the University of Anchorage or Alaska Anchorage. Um, and then most recently at the Ignite Your Passion workshop in the Twin Cities. And one of the nice things I think about that vantage point of speaking at conferences like that and workshops is that you really do get a sense of what young journalists want to know and where they're struggling and what they're trying to figure out. So I'm curious, based on those times and those experiences, what's your impression of the landscape today? And and what do you see younger journalists of having to conquer and, and figure out?
1: Um, well, it's something we actually talked about in the Ignite Your Passion presentation er- presentation it is how much stuff has changed um, since Atlanta, since we did the presentation there. And I just think that um, workload is becoming, with social media and and Facebook Live and all of this stuff, I just think that a lot more is being put on journalists um, as far as just platforms they need to be serving constantly. So I think that it is easy to see that or, or know everything you have to do in a day and kind of be discouraged or maybe think like, I don't, I don't have the energy um, to go and, and do something like this. Cause I have a lot of other things to do. So I would just encourage people to, it's still all about the moments. It's still like, even though we have all of this stuff to, to think of it more as a, a benefit, you know, social media gets your stories out there and more people get to see them and, and being able to show people some of your raw now is, is, you know, getting people closer with things. So I just think looking at that as more of a positive and knowing that even though we've got all of this stuff we need to do, it's still about finding great moments and getting to do great storytelling. Like it's still, we can still do that and, and we can just use these other things as tools to keep doing that. And so I would just say to people starting out, you know, just take advantage of it, make it, look at it as a positive and and know that you can still mine these incredible Moments with people, that doesn't change. People are still going to experience that no matter what. So I, I just think that, that I've noticed that in, in with talking with people just about the things that we have to do every day. I mean, we're we're up against the daily grind, you know, just like everybody. So, yeah, just and I focusing think that on that.
0: There is, um, it's interesting, when people talk about social media, you know, maybe eight to ten years ago, that meant you had to be active on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then Three to five years ago, that became, you have to be active on Twitter, but you really have to be active on Facebook. And now it's almost a free-for-all. It's You have to be on Twitter, you have to be on Facebook, you have to be on Instagram, and maybe Snapchat if you want. And each of those platforms demands different audiences. So it really does become challenging. And I think it is tough sometimes to want to focus on moments and storytelling and the kind of things that that folks like you and I really value – when the people who write your paycheck uh or the people who authorize your paycheck um don't necessarily value that before they value quantity on social media and you know doing three stories in a day as opposed to one story where you can invest more time and and i and i do think that is something that a lot of journalists are simply being trained almost by the way that management looks at it to prioritize other things other than the storytelling. Okay. It, it is a challenge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, you, we have to prove ourselves also. We can't expect to, you know, well, I, I think this is more important and so you need to let me do it. Um, I think that with people starting out, definitely, you know, you have to work to prove why it's important to do that. And I think that I've told People, you know, yeah, sometimes you're going to put your own time into it and, and, and whatever. But if once you start getting more practice and, and you can show somebody who maybe doesn't get it, um, maybe in management, I don't know, it, just any somebody in the newsroom who might not want you to be prioritizing that, if you can show them the product when you have that like really great moment, there's no way that somebody's going to be like, oh, I hate this. You know, so right. I think it's just proving that why it's, it's important. Like they will feel something for it. And, um, that takes time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's one of those things where, you know, I think obviously you, I know I, and, and I think most journalists who I know who have ever done a passion project, it has been on their time, at least at the start of their careers. And usually a good chunk of the way through for, for many people, it never stops being something that happens when they have the time for it and and that isn't something that necessarily goes away over time but you know if you can get a job right away where you have the time and and you get to do what you love that's great but for most journalists starting out in TV it's it's just not going to be that way and and i think that's what worries me is that people have to have to focus on what's right in front of them and don't get to focus on the fundamentals enough. But I think there's something to what you said about, you know, doing repetition exercises, taking the camera yeah. out and, you know, and uh, when we had Michael driver on a few years ago, another really talented photojournalist and he talked about the license plate exercise of going out and seeing how many different ways you could shoot a license plate on a car. Mm-hmm. And it's stuff like that, that really does pay off in the long run and can help kind of get you ahead of the wave, so to speak, and get to do some of those projects and, and just put you in a little better position than you might be otherwise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and don't, you know, I would also just say like, not to be afraid. I was terrified of this story that I did. I had never, like I said, I had never done a nap pack with layers. I think that was the thing I was so scared of is because I knew I needed something. I wanted to challenge myself to be able to do it just myself with reveals and layers and things like that. Not just, you know, something maybe that was a little easier. Um, So this, yeah, this whole project was very stressful and scary. And like I said, there were definitely moments where I was like, okay, I need, I need a reporter. I can't, I can't, you know, make this work. So I'm, I'm just that without the award, all of that, I mean, this was like a highlight a year ago when I did it just because I did it. Um, And so just not being afraid to try something different and challenge yourself to, to, to change up your style and, and try to go for something that's scary or or difficult is important. It was really important to me and it still is. And I definitely need to like, look up some stories now and like start something else. I'm (laughs) I'm not doing anything right now. So I don't know. I think it was just important to say, you know what? A lot of people have done these amazing nap pack stories and I haven't, I need to see if I can.
0: And also not not to put so much pressure on it, right because i mean when you when you tell me that, I think that's fascinating that that this was a story that that scared you at some point that there were points where you felt like you couldn't where you needed someone else to work on it with you because from where I sit, following you for several years now, as I have i mean it there is no doubt in my mind that this is the kind of story that you could take on with relative ease because you've done you you've got the shooting and editing part of it so down in stories you 've done with the past and so it's it's really it's really interesting but i also feel like even had it not won a Murrow award even had it not turned out as great as it turned out the fact that you did it and the fact that it is the building block to the next big project mm-hmm. is almost as important as any of the acclaim that has now come with it
1: absolutely and i needed the practice on on like you're right the shooting and editing part of it wasn't you know wasn't tough but I needed the practice of interviewing people like that and, and staying focused on a theme or a focus myself and not thinking, you know, like, Oh, the reporters might handle that a little more than, than I will. Um, so yeah, I, I just think, and you're like the best example of this. It's just like, it's so important to try to do all of that yourself. And obviously I'm not an MMJ and I'm going to stay being a photographer, but it's still really important for me to practice that, that other stuff and, and, it will make me better um, with when I'm when I'm a teammate of somebody's or, or whatever it'll I think make me a better storyteller. So I think it's it's really important for to try that stuff that's kinda of scary.
0: Well, and I've been doing this podcast by myself for five years, and I still couldn't figure out how to get my audio to work for about 10 (laughs) minutes when we got on the phone. So it it it, never is perfect. (laughs) Yeah, It's always a growth process. So, Catherine, uh, I I appreciate your time. I always like to end with that famous reporter's question. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add?
1: I don't think so. I, I think we got it all.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear it again. Congratulations. What an honor for you. And Catherine Stewart, thank you so much for joining me again on the Telling the Story podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I I'm, I'm love talking about it. Thank
0: you. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. By the way, go back to this Monday's post and take a look at the five lessons I learned from this year's National Murrow Award winners, including the one we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. Check out my book, The Solo Video Journalist. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.